0: All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mix Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 313. With that number, we'll give a shout out to Kristen Hamilton, who plays forward for the North Carolina Courage. Hamilton was the last player selected in the 2015 NWCL Draft by the Western New York Flash. She played just 313 minutes in her rookie season, but stuck with it, as we well know, and has since been part of three NWCL Championship teams in 2016 with the Flash and in 2018 and 2019 with the Courage. If you didn't hear me say it on the draft broadcast last week, I'll say it again. There are fourth round picks from every NWCL draft, but the inaugural one who are still playing and starting in the league. And speaking of the draft, both chats today are part About the draft, of course. Um, First, I spoke with Pardeep Khatri, who writes for Equalizer Soccer and a few other outlets, um, about the experience of watching the draft, covering the draft as a reporter. We also talked about Sky Blue's moves, since she's mostly covered Sky Blue, and a few other draft thoughts. And then I spoke with my broadcast partner and former NWSL player, Jordan Angeli, who got to interview a lot of the draft picks last week via Zoom. So we talked talked about that and also her thoughts on for college players, how they're deciding when to move to the pros now after the spring season, after the fall season, you know, very different landscape than it's been in the past. And between those two chats, there's a Jen Splainer segment. I'm going to talk about timeouts in the NMSL draft because why not? And don't forget to follow me on Twitter to Handles you want to follow at Keeper Notes and at Mix Zone. As always, two X's in MixZone. And now, enjoy the show. All right, Jen Cooper the Keeper here with Pardeep Khatri, women's soccer reporter, a freelancer who has mostly covered sky blue. Um, Pardeep, I mean, i'm still recovering from wednesday night are you yeah i'm pretty (laughs) sure i'm
1: still sleep deprived i didn't really get a lot of rest yesterday either (laughs) maybe 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 i can take it easy this weekend or maybe i will just forget that i'm
0: sleep deprived and be uh, living with this lag for weeks i could see that happening what's funny after after that gargantuan record-setting broadcast you know you're thinking it's almost over. It's almost over. I, you know, I can go to bed, but it finishes. And then everybody's talking and and going over stuff. And then you, you hit this kind of high of like, Oh yeah. And that, Oh, and that, and then you finally go back to your hotel room. And I'm like, now I can't sleep because I'm charged (laughs) because I want to think about, Oh, that happened. And -and so-and-so traded who like, Yeah. Working on the broadcast, it does get to be a blur where it's like I need to go back and look at my list and just like let it sink in what each pick was and who ended up with what, and I still need to update my rosters on my, on my Google sheet. Um, but it's, so, it's such a weird where it's like that that kind of energy, and then and then it's like okay, okay, now I'm exhausted. A day later, now now I'm really <laughs> exhausted, but. Um, I want to know first what was the draft like for you uh as a member of the media and someone who has, you know, covered the draft before. What was it like to see the draft done virtually? Uh you know, like this is the first time where if you're watching the draft, you're watching it online. There's no way that anyone could, you know, watch it in person. So what was it like for you? So I think I mean,
1: first starters, I thought it was just actually really, really well produced. I mean, the big complaint about the draft was that it took a long time, but that I don't think was down to anybody on the production side. It actually was a really, really well done thing. I I obviously have never been behind the scenes on anything like that, but I have to imagine organizing, I don't know how many different Zooms you had uh, that were organized with all of the different players, And then inserting the videos in, and uh, it just looked so smooth on our end. So I think, really, the entire production stuff, well done, because it (laughs) you wouldn't have you wouldn't have noticed any lags or anything or anything missing from my end. That that's that was my impression of it, and obviously the. I always think that the on-air talent, you and Marissa and Jordan and Lori are really good at your work too. So,
0: but that was not something I was concerned about. It was (laughs) sort of... I'm not just saying that. No, I know, I know you're not. But but what I what I like is that having done it so many years, right? Like, and now that this was, I think, the third year that all four of us were doing it together, like when you've built up that relationship and you know, I know what Lori knows, she knows what I know. She also knows what I don't know. So she's not gonna throw <laughs> me a question where, you know, like, hey, Jen, what was this due to their tactical lineup going blah, 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 blah? And I'd be like, I I don't know, right? Like like, give me the context question, the historical question. The I've I've got the interesting factoid kind of thing, right? You know, and then just, and then Jordan just being such a great interview. I you know I really enjoy that. Um, but what I wonder, like from your perspective, which is not just media but also the the fan perspective of how was it watching it unfold for the first time in the evening, not during the day? And, and I was kind of, I was kind of tickled to see some people say, why is this in, in, at night? I'm getting tired where the complaint <laughs> in the past had always been, why is this during the workday? Right. So like it's, it's yeah. it's never perfect. Um, and, and I also want to know from, from you as media, like how did you guys get to talk to players once they were picked, because that's not something I got to see where normally if we were in the ballroom at the United Soccer Coaches Convention, I would be able to see over to the side that, oh, they've just brought so-and-so to the mix zone. They're talking with her. She, she gets a scar, you know, th- that kind of thing. So how was your side of it in terms of trying to cover what was happening? So... For me, it ended up being like a two-screen operation
1: because we were told that there was going to be a running Zoom the entire night and draft picks and eventually coaches too would pop in and out of the Zoom. And actually also the KC owners came at one point. Nice. So, yeah. So a lot of media availability and it was actually very, very smooth. Uh, credit to the league staff for putting that together too. People were easily able to come in, easily able to come out. You know, I think at this point, everybody's figured out how to use Zoom for press conferences. I think
0: so. I I don't think we had any Zoom hiccups of somebody accidentally showing something they didn't want to show. Oh my gosh. Yeah.
1: No, And no, there were a couple of people who's uh, a couple of draft picks. I think Yasmeen Ryan was really the big one whose family, as we saw on the broadcast, were also there when she was doing her zoom availability and <laughs> her mom and her boyfriend got involved at one point. Cause she was like, cause somebody, had, I don't even remember the question, but you know, it's, it was probably about, um, you know, your family, as to like being with them and whatever, and she's like, "Oh, you know, my mom has done so much for me," and her mom's like, "Yeah, that's me right here." And then she's like, "Oh, you know, my boyfriend pushes me and you know encourages me," and he's like, "Oh, that's me right here." <laughs> it, it, it was pretty great. It
0: that's a very great. that's a very different kind of interview I- I- experience, but yeah, 100 you know, I I loved seeing. Uh, the reactions from players at home with their families you know I love that we had Trinity Rodman with her family and uh, Emily Fox at the national team camp and and, and obviously it's at the hotel ballroom wherever they're staying right they're all spaced Mm -hmm. out they're all wearing masks and it took me a moment looking at the screen but I was like oh they've surrounded her with previous first round picks <laughs> you know, so it's like there's Tiana Davidson, there's Andy <laughs> Sullivan, you know, yeah. there's Lynn Williams. Uh, you know, it's it's like that 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 was really cute.
1: Yeah, no, I think that was easily the best part of the broadcast was watching people and their families interact and celebrate together. Yeah. I mean the Brianna Pinto family. Oh my gosh. there's just a lot of I mean Yasmine Ryan again, there was a baby in the background. It was that was easily the best part of a pandemic draft, I think.
0: Yeah, and and I I do hope we get to return to a situation where we're at a at the ballroom at the the soccer coaches convention because, uh, as we did see some benefits with this draft by having it virtual like that, what I did miss was that energy of being in the ballroom and getting to see those players hear their name called and walk up to the podium right um, yeah. i i still remember the the first broadcast um and that was the first one i worked worked on in 2016 um the first player name that they called who was there no, it was the first player picked by the Spirit who was there because so that the draft was in Baltimore. So you had a lot of Spirit fans in the crowd. And it was Shayna Williams, now Shana Matthew, Matthews. And as she walked up to the podium, the Spirit squadron is chanting, Shana Williams. Shane and, and she just oh, like lovely. was overwhelmed at the put she's like oh my god like they're you know to, to have that moment and then go right you know like the the gm comes and hands you a scarf and you know getting your picture taken and stuff like that like i want that for the players i also love when all of us woso people are all in one place at one time the league the media the fans the teams you know like you really only get that once a year right and and that i just right. miss people yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. That, that too <laughs>
1: That's I mean, that, I mean that's, not to take it a little bit away from uh, the draft <laughs> and within soccer, but I think the general of my general feeling is sure. I miss doing things, but I mostly miss the people about uh, doing things.
0: Yes. Yes. Good point. Very good point. Well, let's talk about sky blue um, because obviously that's, that's the team, you know, very well, but I, mm-hmm. I also think it's, it's one of the most interesting uh, drafts for sky blue, especially with, uh, Uh, reacquiring Jennifer Cujo picking up uh, a lot of allocation money and and then also you know thoughts on on their picks themselves but where would you like to start in talking about Sky Blue FC's 2021 draft so to me one of the things I always like to look for is
1: which team created the most chaos (laughs) just generally that, that that piques my interest a little bit and i think i think the award has to go to sky blue not because they were particularly chaotic in any way but i think they just created the most noise out of trading away their draft picks ending up with lots of allocation money uh making the broadcast longer i'm kidding uh, but, <laughs> yeah but also selecting a, one of, I think, the top prospects in the draft, Brianna Pinto, and getting back, Jennifer Cujo. There are a lot of storylines there, so that's why I give them my most chaos award, not that they were particularly chaotic, just they did a lot. Um, what sticks out to me overall in terms of their strategy was, it seems, so I remember last year's draft, even though, it feels like a million years ago. It's only a lot. It does. Year. It does. And the big Mallory Pugh trade, and they got Evelyn Beyond. And to me, it really signaled an interest in playing a real attacking style. I mean, they ended up with Midge Purse, too, but uh, we don't have to talk about that now.
0: And, and, they, had, <laughs> and they had just acquired McCall's or Boney. You're right. Right, right, right. right. So, like, like, and, and, had they gotten Onamono before that, or no? I I can't remember, but but it's yeah. like it was clear like we're serious, we're making moves, you know, we're making changes, right? And a Pew ends up
1: leaving. Obviously, it was it was only a few weeks ago, um, but clearly they're still interested in that. They have, uh, and they end up with this very great player, I think, in Pinto who. She signaled it, Freya Coombe signaled it uh, in her availability that after she returns from college after the spring season, if that happens, she seems ready enough to go right away. Um, so maybe we'll actually see them finalize that vision. I think last year you maybe got a couple of glimpses at it, but right, I don't know exactly what they were planning for because Mallory Pugh wasn't there and Carly Lloyd wasn't there. Maybe, I I don't know, again, how much the plan shifts. They still have great attacking talent, but I think this year is the year that they actually get to demonstrate what that long-term vision was, even if it's without Mallory Pugh. Now, obviously, it will alter, but now they have that
0: chance. And Jennifer Cujo, they need... that's huge. <laughs> to me, that to me that was the, the most important move. And and I, I wondered when the expansion draft happened when I first, first saw those protected lists, I'm like, why isn't Jennifer Cujo? that was the one that stuck out in mind protected, right? And maybe maybe they thought she wouldn't be picked, or maybe they had a long game in mind. Who who knows? But um, you know, it's good to see her her back with the team where that where she had the Breakout Challenge Cup, you know, and when I think about Sky Blue's performance in 2020, you know, right, it's not a full regular season, right? It's one thing to judge six games in the summer and four in the fall compared to a 24-game regular season, but it was a different sky blue than we had seen in the past. They made it all the way to the semifinals, even came back to score two goals in the semi against Chicago after they were down three zero. And they did finish fourth um, in, in, in the fall series, you know, beating Chicago in that final game, you know, three one. So they had some good performances and only one of those, featured Mallory Pugh. And I think she was maybe in for all of 25 minutes, right? And you didn't yeah. have Carly Lloyd for any of that. And you didn't have Zerboni, uh, you know, for for the fall series. Now, I do think one of the, the biggest losses that they're going to have to make up for really is losing Sarah Waldmo to Chicago. Yeah. Um, here's your all-time appearance leader, your captain, your mainstay. She played every single minute of the challenge. Cup and I'm pretty sure she played every minute of, of the fall series and I think the um, 2019 so. season too she, she, she Pro-
1: probably always there, yeah. always there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right but I am glad to see that they have a lot of other long termers returning in Kawasumi Lewandowski, Stell Johnson Kaylin Sheridan though of course they have to think about well if Sheridan's on the Olympic roster for Canada you know are we finally going to get to see Manny McGlynn, the goalkeeper they drafted last year, you know, mm-hmm. get get some time. Um, but it, it was interesting for me, not just to see who they, they picked, but, you know, these moves of like, okay, well, let, let, let's talk some allocation money with some teams, right? So in, in most cases, they had allocation money coming towards them. Uh, and of course, with Louisville, they, they sent a little allocation, allocation money back um to, to get Cujo, but i'm wondering now especially because i think sky blue also got an international slot uh from chicago in that trade for sarah and pew so they have an additional international slot like okay w- are, are there some big international signings on sky blue's horizon
1: right For me that's I, I was just like the onus is on you now if you're not going to pick up players in the draft or, and you you're not, not going to have Waldmo and Pew and what are you going to do with the international spot and the money it's why i didn't want to rush to judgment on the Waldmo and Pew trade and uh, because I didn't know what they were going to do with that international spot. I, I have to imagine we'll find out at some point. And I'm not really judging them much on the Woldmo trade. She wanted to be in Chicago where her husband is. So that that is yeah. what it is. Yeah. but uh,
0: that's I was why, surprised yeah. with that trade that they were giving up two players and getting no players back because yeah. Sky Blue historically has the smallest roster. They currently have the smallest roster. Um, Where it's like, like, I don't think you can afford to lose that many bodies, Um, you know, and then to give up some of their picks in the draft, you know, they ended up with with just four picks. Um, But hopefully with that allocation money you know and international slots that means that they can they can do a lot of a lot of signing it was always it's always interesting to see who's giving up picks right like Mm -hmm. yeah we we don't need that and different teams are in different situations i i would say this was the first time for me where the dash only having low picks i'm like that's fine because for the first time in dash history they're returning every single starter <laughs> like that's, yeah. you know as opposed to oh they really need some new talent um I, I also thought it was funny that it seemed like chicago wouldn't be as active in the draft as they were in the past and then of course you know um here comes sh- chicago making some moves getting some picks um yeah i, I mean I, it's so fun to to watch it play out any other thoughts on, on like were, were there players drafted higher than you thought or lower than you thought, or like a surprise move by a team where you're like, what? I mean, like when you, when you think back on that, you know, triathlon endurance of a, <laughs> of a broadcast, like what, what jumps out in your memory first when you're like, Oh, that was a moment. You know, I
1: think my overall feeling of things is that You know, you were just talking about trading away picks. And to me, I know people have talked a lot about is the draft, you know, does it still have a place? And I'm also still asking those questions. Uh, I actually literally published a piece yesterday where I said that the draft is going through an existential crisis. That's (laughs) a a good way to describe it. I like that. Yeah, yeah, I try. Uh, But... I think what I'm also thinking about now is where I think the draft, the first few picks are always about, okay, maybe people who can work right away, but I think after that is about depth pieces. And I think the changing dynamic of women's soccer globally means that people are looking to fill up their rosters, not only with draft picks anymore. And that I don't know if I communicated that point effectively enough, but that's something I'm thinking about now. It's not just how does it impact the top, top players in any um, pool of prospects, but how does it impact players who won't be the top draft picks
0: well, and and I think we tend to kind of downplay the role of third and fourth round picks. When when we were prepping a few weeks ago for the broadcast, someone made the comment it's like, "Well, you know, fourth round picks, whatever." And I was like, "Wait a minute." <laughs> Cuz I had this little chart handy, this is the kind of stuff that that I prep is always like stats and context and history. Nobody you know, can say I, that I, kind I, of I, thing around you. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I I said, "There's an active Fourth round pick from every draft except the first one, right? And the first one was nine years ago, so that that kind of makes sense. But she's mm-hmm. like, "Really?" I said, "I said, yeah." And let me tell you some of the names, you know, Kristen Hamilton, <laughs> Lo Labonta, oh, yeah. Danny Weatherholt, Kristen McNabb, Ryan Williams, Celia Jimenez, you know, Marissa Vigiano, like, like, like. I th- I think we. It, we kind of inherit that feeling from how, from other pro sports of like, oh, you're not a first round pick, so you're not that good. It's like, no, our talent pool is so incredibly deep. You know, one, you have 333 NCAA Division One programs. That doesn't even count two, three, NAIA, <laughs> NJCCA. You know, that. So the number of women coming out of college. Right. Like not everybody's qualified to be a pro, but that pool is so huge. And yeah. there's only 40 picks. Right. So, um, you know, I see people going back and forth on, on the value of the draft. But I but I think one thing that does doesn't get communicated enough is by being drafted, these players are guaranteed a spot in camp for the entirety of preseason, right? You might, mm. you might say, well, I want to be a free agent. They should get to be free agents. It's like, well, free agents means they could cut you at any time, right? So all of these girls know that they've got a spot in camp from February 1st, you know, to the beginning of the season. Or if they're joining their team later, it's a different it's a different window, you know, where it's like it's always been in NWSL that if you're drafted and you don't want to join your team until you finish your schooling, that, 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 that that's OK. Right. Yeah. Um, there's there's mm-hmm. nothing that forces them to, to join immediately. And, and I know the league has put the pressure on the clubs of like you have to do your due diligence, you know, in terms of when a player is intended to come out, you know. And and it's I'm pretty sure it's something that's put on the the registration form online for for players to register. Or it's like, you know, what's are are you can is your degree already completed? Are you completing it in May, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh cuz people that are looking long term uh for their pro careers usually try to complete their degree the December before before the draft. But but anyway, like there's there's always so much talent that I think we don't know what it's going to look like, and, and I think that's why you got to go by the. You really can't judge a draft in, to, until five years later, right? We're yeah. like, wow, that player is is really amazing, and that's why I wanted to go back and build that list of who are the lowest still active. Um, and like I said, there's none from 2013, but you still have the number 32 pick from 2013, which that was lower third round. That's Amber Brooks. She was oh. a three. She was three seasons in a row. Um, you know, Iron Woman, right? So, so it's like yeah. the the number of where you get picked is not always an indication of the, of, of talent because, well, it depends on the team who has the pick what their needs are at the time. Also, it could be, you know, was a player injured or had the player indicated, oh, well, I'm not going to join for a while or I'm going overseas, right? Like, I, I look at O.L. Rain choosing Jimena Lopez, um, and I thought that was a strange pick because, you know, she requires an international slot. I've heard, you know, from multiple sources that she's looking at going to Europe. Um, so maybe that, that that's Rain's just, like... Hey, you know, maybe she's something for down the line. But I also feel like, hey, I doubt anyone else would have picked her. Why wouldn't you use that for something else and then get her through discovery? I you know, I don't know. You know, there, there's, yeah. like, there's all those different levels to that. And it was intimidating when we first started prepping for this draft after the rule had changed about who was eligible. We're like, oh my God, do we have to research 2,000 players? No. <laughs> the, pool, the The pool of who, the coaches are you know realistically looking at hasn't gotten too much bigger um, but you've got that factor of well are people going to do something different this year because of COVID right where Mm -hmm. someone who has declared for the draft but might end up doing something else or the people that didn't have to declare, but were still eligible might be on the fence, right? Like I had made a comment on the broadcast of, yeah, you know, Pinto will be good to go. She joined the team immediately and immediately got some tweets of like, no, she said she's going to play the spring season. But the thing is the 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 players have, uh, I think about 10 days, there's a deadline where they have to tell their club that drafted them what their plans are whether you're gonna they're gonna stay with their school for the spring, stay, you know, whatever. Also, and and I hate to say it, but you know, anything could happen when it comes to the scheduled spring season, the scheduled spring NCAA tournament. I would hate for none of that to get played, but I don't think we're out of the woods yet in terms of the NCAA tournament happening right no and, I totally I, agree with you. Yeah. And, and I think that I you know I I I really like what NWSL did with the schedule in terms of when things start, right? And and that they announced this in November that preseason starting earlier. Um, so that you could allow for okay there 's going to have to be you know people coming in in waves and quarantining and getting tested right you can 't just have everybody show up the same day yeah um, and, and and knowing that you 've got that she believes block in the middle of it, and then doing challenge cup first starting mid April and then kicking off the regular season in mid May as opposed to in mid April. Or or earlier, so I think that could work well with the delay in college players joining. Um, also allows these clubs to have some kind of preseason where you know normally their preseason would be playing local college teams, right? They're not going to be. They're not going to be able to, do, be able to yeah. do that, right? So I love that there's that Challenge Cup window and that we can see the tournament that we all fell in love with last summer. We can see it again, um, but that you've basically pushed back the start of the regular season later than it's ever been, which, you know, fingers crossed gives, uh, you know, the league and the players even more time to um, avoid the worst of, of what's happening, you know, with the pandemic. I mean, we we might even be able to have in in certain uh, venues, you know, fans at at some of the stadiums again, but I just like, I, I, I saw some, some tweets, I try to not look too much, at, at, at draft-related tweets, at least once the draft starts. But
1: uh, are <laughs> not everybody. You know Jen opinion. does not
0: read her Twitter. Oh, Don't sometimes Twitter. Twitter. It's yeah. pointless. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> and that uh, if you're like, oh, this is unfair. You know, imagine being drafted to some random company and told you have to work there. No, that's not what this means. Not what this means at all. Right um there's I so think, many I there's mean, so many is, different layers to this right like you don't it is have to, very complicated it yeah. is very complicated yeah and, and that's why i even like i made that little graphic that i tweeted on on draft day because i would made that for myself so that i could get used to explaining to people like okay if someone's already signed a pro contract, they can't be drafted Yeah, Like I think Grant Wall had tweeted. Yeah. I wonder who's going to draft her. You know, now that she signed for Leon, I'm like, she can't be drafted. Yeah. No, Baird, Lisa Baird said on
1: the, uh, pre draft press conference that we did the day before that she can't be drafted.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So And, and that, you know, the people that qualify as seniors. And I think there was some confusion there too, because people are thinking, um, you know, is it by year or what season they had played? And so I kept reiterating it's if they have played three seasons before fall 2020, right? So it wouldn't matter yeah. if, if their third season was fall 2020 and they'd be a senior next year. No, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about anyone who had exhausted three seasons of eligibility before fall 2021 don't have to declare and one of the questions yeah yeah, one of the questions we had internally i was like okay what about a player who is eligible for this draft because she had completed three seasons before 2020 doesn't declare and doesn't get drafted is she eligible for next year's draft and you know, and the answer, the answer was no. And at first, I didn't understand that. And then I realized ba- basically the concept is you're only eligible for one draft, period. Right. So, mm-hmm. so, that, so that you can't like pick which draft pool you're in. But I think the unintended benefit of that is normally if you're coming out of school and you don't declare for the draft, you cannot play in NWSL that year. Right? And they set up that rule because they didn't want people circumventing the draft to to then just negotiate with whatever team they wanted right uh, mm-hmm. we'll call we'll call that the Brinyard's daughter rule because uh, she tried to do that coming out of or rather Boston Breakers tried to do that with her coming out of <laughs> 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 Florida State um, and of course Portland wanted her yada yada. but uh, by by eliminating that rule at least for for this year, it gives flexibility to the players, um, that don't get drafted, especially the ones that aren't sure yet what they want to do. Right? It mm-hmm. there, there's still so many questions that it might be like, well, I just want to wait and see, right? And maybe yeah. I play the spring and the fall. Maybe I just play the spring. You could have someone change their mind, you know, after the spring season and go, yeah, I'm I'm ready to go try out now right? And she she would be able to, even if she hadn't declared. So um, it it is a mixed bag. And I love how you describe it as the draft is having an existential crisis. And, And I think much like we saw with the evolution of the MLS draft over the years, you know, it's it'll be less important as the years go on, right? As, as okay. women's soccer grows, as clubs grow, as infrastructure changes. Um, but right now, I, th- I think it's an important mechanism. And I don't think anyone would disagree with me that having, you know, for even five hours of content in January when we haven't had any games since mid-October, we're not going to have any games until mid-April, like... Even if it exhausted you Wednesday night, I'm sure all fans were like, "Oh my God, there's something for us to talk about, and tweet about, and post about, and complain about, right?" Like, like, <laughs> like you know, and, and and like you said, like, like, I miss people. It's it's kind of the same thing. It's like, oh, all the Woso people in one space, even if it was a virtual space, at the same time, right? You know, yeah. that that. Um, I love that it was it, it. It's something that we could put so much content in. You know. It's true, and
1: I think it's a good way. And again, I'm making a point that actually has nothing to do with soccer at all. <laughs> <laughs> I find January to be a horrible month. So anything that breaks up January with certain objectives for me, or just things to look forward to, is good. I find.
0: And this has been a sorry pretty to tough anybody that likes January. By the way, I, I apologize. No, but- that's a good point, too. And this has been a very tough January. And I even saw tweets from people saying, like, I'm so glad there's something for something else for me to be paying attention to on Twitter. <laughs> right <now." laughs> yeah. All right. Well, last question for you, Pardeep. And, uh, and I'll just throw a wacky one out Ooh. there. Based, right. based, based on these picks, based on current rosters, who do you think is going to be the 2021 Challenge Cup champion? And I haven't even thought about that. That's just, oh, that's just my God. Of my wow, that's particularly cool, cool then. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who, whose roster is like, wow, you know, they got some great picks or they made some great moves. Um, I I, I feel like it's a very different North Carolina, right? So yes. I wouldn't necessarily put my money no, in North either. Carolina. Um, and, you know, and we all know I, I bleed orange for Houston Dash, but I also feel like, the challenge of repeating any success is really tough, especially given the stressors that everyone's working under these days where, you know, who knows if we'll be able to do challenge cup in local venues or in a bubble, but it's, it's tough. Tournament situations are tough, you know everything around everything that the pandemic has cost, you know has, has, been, yeah. ha, has been tough so i i would think that would be pretty pretty hard i don't i don't see the expansion clubs suddenly claiming no um, th- that either. title but Blue i, I do do they have enough players yet well i i know they've you know, they've probably got some more signings coming. At least they got six picks out of this draft, That's right? That's true. No, Christy Holly was telling us on the media availability that their
1: objective was probably a little bit unique and that they actually just needed players.
0: Yeah, yeah. So. I'm going to, okay, I'm going to put my my pick out there. I'm going to say Washington Spirit because I, I think Richie Burke picked really well in this draft. He's returning... Uh, virtually his entire core Um, and much like Mallory Pugh leaving sky blue uh, spirit trading Rose Lavelle's rights away. You know, she, she was in some games in the challenge cup, but you know, not there for, for, for fall series. So they already have, you know, they already know how to play and win, you know, without her. So that that's not a huge hole as opposed to, you know, if you had um, you know, Christine Sinclair suddenly leave, uh, you know, Portland. Um, So I'm going to say Washington spirit, but, but what's, what's, what's your guess? I'm between them,
1: but I think I will go with Portland. I like their picks a lot. And I think it's, I think they already had a really good framework to work with. I, I was quite convinced with them during the fall series I don't know if they'll actually have enough time to get things in order for the challenge cup, but I think you also, but it's a knockout tournament that's only going to last a couple of weeks. So maybe you don't need time at all and you can just kind of be fluky and win it anyway. (laughs) So I mean, that's the truth, right? So I think I'm between spirit and I'm between Portland. I'll give Portland the edge. Now you ask me in the next hour, I'll probably change my mind.
0: (laughs) I like, that. I like that. That's a good pick. And they, they basically swept the, um, the fall series. Right. And what I, I I like that they did it without bringing in any extra players. I don't think they signed anybody to a short-term contract for, for the fall, even though they had some players missing. Right. So they just kept that core, um, where, they really struggled of course in the first round of, of the Challenge Cup but you saw the progress right and then that upset um and and then a really tough semifinal very close semifinal with Houston yeah. and and then like it, you could see what what Parsons was building on top of that. So I feel like this is Portland Thorns Parsons 2.0.
1: Yeah. I think for a lot of people this 2021 is going to be what 2020 was supposed to be. Yeah, and yeah. Although that's I think the dash maybe not—it's not for everybody. But going back to your old, other point about the dash defending their Challenge Cup title, it will be extremely difficult. I don't doubt that for a second. But I think as long as they don't embarrass themselves, and I think if they <laughs> find a, and I don't even mean that in like a derogatory no,
0: way. I, no, I feel like no. But I totally point. know what you mean. Like, I it's totally like, know for what me you mean. it's
1: like yeah. a baseline for everybody for starters yeah. don't embarrass yourself then if you could like if they can still find a place in the semifinals or maybe I don't know I guess if on, in a fluke way they get out in the quarterfinals nobody's gonna be like oh dash over it was only 2020 one time right. only right right everybody has yeah. a lot of opportunity I think to prove that either they, they're making the progress or they've made the progress It's basically, I really do think it will be
0: the reboot of 2020 for a lot of people in terms of the projects they were working on. And I think that's that's such a great point. Well, Party, thank you so much for taking the time to kind of rehash the draft and talk about picks and all that kind of stuff with me. And I hope you get a good nap. And I definitely I hope you do too. A good nap.
1: Yeah, you were you the one that was on the broadcast for five hours. I was sitting in a chair. I could have. Well, I didn't. I actually couldn't have zoned out at any point. But you know, I could have. More. I was wearing pajamas the whole time. At least I just have to
0: say. I just have to say it was. So much easier, even being five hours long, than the very first one I did in 2016, where we didn't have videos or uh, you know a floor reporter to throw things to or video breaks of Olympians announcing the stuff. You know, so yeah, it's it's that kind of thing when you can put it in perspective. Personally, of just like, yeah, I've been through it. It's been worse. This is fine. Progress. (laughs) Love to see it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, keep up the good work, party and everybody. You can you can follow her on Twitter. You should. Time for a little Jen's blaining. Today's topic, draft timeouts. Why? Why, oh God, why? Um, I'm sure that's what a lot of you were thinking last Wednesday, watching the draft, especially since it was an evening draft and it went longer than usual. Um, it is hard to remember when we only do it once a year that the last several drafts have all lasted longer than four hours. Um, though last week's drafts is by far the longest in NWSL history. So let's give let's give the draft a little bit of a break because one, COVID. Which too meant that a lot of stuff was done remotely, um, but specifically to draft timeouts, um, I, I'm hoping, I'm sure we're all hoping this is this is something that can go away <laughs> over time. But in generally, what they've been used for is a team is negotiating a trade for a pick or a player or a combination of a pick and a player, and the go- negotiations are, are still going. So each team is allowed one pick, one sorry one timeout per round. Um, I mean, I hope in the future maybe it's they get one timeout per draft, right? Um, There are also league timeouts. I don't think we had any league timeouts this year. I'll have to go back and check. But in the past, those have been taken when there's been some kind of administrative question on perhaps a player's eligibility or some paperwork issue because what you don't see during during the draft is when the team turns in the name to – the league to say this is who we want there's another 30 to 60 to 90 seconds of the league making sure that pick you know is is someone who is eligible to be picked um so uh, you know for for us on the on the broadcast desk you know we don't get any warnings any more warnings of timeouts than you do and and they can be frustrating but I I do want everyone to put in perspective that actually this draft was only about 30 minutes longer uh, than our last several drafts. It just, it was definitely a strange feeling to not be in the ballroom Uh, at the convention. Um, to not be doing it during the day Uh, and I'd love to hear people's feedback of if you prefer day versus night Um, and if anybody has any other draft mechanics questions uh, about how the draft works or even how the broadcast works don't hesitate to email me at keeper at keepernotes.com All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Jordan Angeli, the master of the NWSL draft interview, which we which should now be the the Zoom the Zoom master, right? I mean, Jordan, sure. you had such an interesting <laughs> role last week, um, and it was funny, like that we got to see you, right? But 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 when we actually worked the draft, you know, me and Marissa and Lori are in one room, and and you're in another room somewhere else. It was kind of surreal.
2: Yeah, Zoom Master, that's a new part of my resume. I I didn't anticipate getting that on there, but I'll take it. Hey, I'll take it. Uh, I think for just the logistics, it kind of – wasn't super different than what we've normally had, right? As you guys are always on the desk and I'm on the ground, boots on the floor, trying to figure out what's happening and relaying any information to you guys and the viewers as possible. But this time uh, I was in a room all by myself. I I joked with the production staff that, you know, nobody puts baby in a corner, but I guess they put her upstairs in a room all by herself away from everyone else. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. (laughs) Love it. Yeah. You always got to get that Dirty Dancing reference in when you can, you know?
0: Well, and then you didn't have like the booming music, right? Like we've had the last... Yeah, that was nice. ...in the background. So it was probably a little bit easier to do your interviews with the draftees.
2: It was easier on a few different levels. First, I would say... The thing that I missed was being able to go up and bug all the coaches and the draft tables and be and just ask them why did you pick this player? Because sometimes I get really good information about we loved her mentality and she said this to us or we heard about this about her from a coach or this is what we saw on film when we watched her play. And I think that was really always interesting and added to some of the conversations I had with players because I could get that real time information to make them feel excited about what their coach believes that who they are already. And so I think that I'm, I don't think I definitely missed having those conversations with coaches and just being uh, in and around them for that period of time. But what happened with this draft the adaptation that we did and did all these zoom interviews, I think it really allowed for these players to feel a little bit more comfortable because a lot of them were either with their family, with their friends, with their teammates, or in their dorm rooms, in their rooms where that you know, that's their safe area. That's where they right. feel comfortable. And it wasn't after a speech in front of all of these people where they're worried about what they're saying and nervous and all those things and then I would get them coming down from their speech and they would just be like some of them were shaken like leaves after and I would just do my best to try to calm them down but in this scenario it was them coming into a zoom room and again they're welcomed by me and we'd have a little conversation and I'd ask them just if there was anything in particular that they wanted to say, uh, Brianna, Brianna Pinto ended up doing a speech that we, we clipped and she could, we ended up putting it out later. So that was kind of a cool thing. And they all had the opportunity to do those things. And some of them just wanted a quick little interview. And then from there, it was just, okay, how can we make this really fun? And uh, you could tell I was having a good time with these interviews. (laughs) And I know you got
0: to do interviews that we didn't even get to see, you know. And and I love the ability of of that, right? In in how we did the production, that you know, you could have those interviews banked. So if we did have another timeout, you know, down with timeouts, of course. But that there was like, oh, we'll, we'll just you know plug in this that that Jordan got, and and I loved mm-hmm. seeing the families with the players because we we've seen an increase over the years of more players being able to go the draft making a point to be at the draft so that if their name's called they go up on the stage they get a scarf they get to say something but there was something really sweet about seeing like trinity rodman's family around her brianna pinto's family around her emily fox (laughs) u.s national team camp clearly in a hotel ballroom with all the chairs spaced out and it took me a while to figure out that everyone around around her were former number one picks, right? Cause they had their masks mm-hmm. on.
2: Almost but, everyone. Yeah, a few but you, of them. Yeah.
0: But, but you nailed it. You're like, Hey, that's so-and-so that's so-and-so. And, and mm-hmm. like, yeah. there was something really sweet about that. I, and like you said, I want to go back to the ballroom. I want to go back to, to seeing the coaches, walking around right like you probably got to see in the past some trades in progress right as they're talking to each other whereas what we would see this year it's like well they're on the phone we don't know who they're on the phone with are they on the phone with another team with the league with the player with the pizza delivery place we don't know Mm
2: -hmm. so (laughs) well I, i think that's really interesting first to just talk about some of the my favorite interviews i i really liked amina ekich i thought that that was a sweet interview because I was like there's no way you're all by yourself and she's like no everybody's in the other room and i'm like okay when we're done we're gonna bring the zoom in there and we're gonna get everybody on so i thought that turned out really well um uh, viviana villacorta she had her family there and they had poppers and she didn't know that was gonna happen and they popped the poppers when we were talking which was super cute um and then towards the end and i don't think you know I, the thing that was difficult about me is I would pop in and out of the feed, so uh, you guys would be talking about whatever was going on. And for example, in the first round, I really had no idea what was happening because I was doing all these interviews. Almost everybody wanted an interview, and so or chose to have an interview. So I I looked up, and it was almost 9 p.m. and I, was, and the first round wasn't done, as you know. But I I was yeah. lost in what everything that had happened. I I still am trying to catch up on everything that went down as far as trades and uh, changing of allocation money and all of that. But what was cool is at the end there were still players who wanted to get interviewed. And so Delaney Sheehan and Alex Lorea from uh, Delaney's from UCLA, Alex from Santa Clara. Their two interviews were maybe two of my favorite because Delaney. I know her background and where she came from and this moment of what it means to her to be able to take that next step. There's a lot of, there's this big story behind that. And she is not a very emotional person. Uh, I had talked uh-huh. to her former high school coach and she was crying and I was like, cry people, wow. you know, this is an important, this is an important moment for you. And so I really hope that they release that interview and they really, released the interview with Alex Lorea from Santa Clara because she had like her whole Santa Clara team at her house and they were all so excited and celebrating. It was just a cute moment. Um, and you know, my, my Broncos, I I gotta be excited about that too. (laughs)
0: Well, and and I love seeing so many, um, Pac-12 West coast players get picked. Um, and to learn more about them as I was doing research because we didn't have Pac-12 soccer this past mm-hmm. fall, so there wasn't any footage to go to, right? Um, yeah. So I think it says even more about a player if they didn't play at all, you know, the, this fall and, and they were taken, right? The, the, that, that says a lot about their reputation and what their coach must have said about them and, you know, how, how the NWSL coaches thought of them.
2: Well, we talked to a lot of coaches from NWSL as well and how they were chatting and having conversations with these players. And some of the things that they were looking for were not just on the field, physical, tactical abilities, but it was how they were going to handle the transition and the mental side and who they are as people and their maturity. And I think that plays into some of these decisions as well, as you were talking about players that haven't played, didn't play in the fall or players that maybe are not even coming out until next January to come join their team. Right. And so I think that there are uh, a lot, it was just an interesting draft in that regard because there were so many X factors, I would say that kind of put people yes. in a different spot than they would just a player that would be ready to go. And I, I think it was just really interesting to see how it played out for each team.
0: And X factor is probably the biggest way to describe this draft. Um, you know, as you know, I finally like drew myself a, a fancy diagram the night before so that I'd be able to
2: yeah. wrap my head
0: around it, and then, help, it, was it helpful. and then describe it to people. It's like, who's eligible? Who's not? You know, what happens? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm curious your thoughts on from the perspective of a player, say if, if you're that, um, you know, you're someone who's eligible as a senior, so you don't have to decide whether or not to declare, but your choices are, well, I can, you know, I got drafted, I can join immediately, I can play spring and join in the summer, or I can, thanks to the NCAA waiver, get another season in fall 2021. How do you decide, um, you know, what are the factors that are affecting uh, your move from college to pro. Cause it's not as straightforward. I, th- I think as most fans think where it's like, well, of course you'd stay, it's a free ride or something like that, that there's, there's so many factors into when you're going to leave college. Right. I mean, in, in this scenario. absolutely.
2: And and we can't just assume that all these players have free rides because we don't know. We don't know how the allocation of money goes with those scholarships for each program. So I, There are so many factors for each player, and I think it depends on who the player is, where they're at in their career, if they were a redshirt senior or a redshirt junior junior and ready to make that next step, if they've graduated already, if uh, they have the ability to get some scholarship come the fall. Uh, I think all those things kind of play into factor because you're deciding, am I ready for that next step? Or do I want to soak up these last moments of college that you get for just typically four years and you get to have that experience once at a certain time in your life. And it really is special. So I think there are a lot of things that go into these players' minds when they're trying to make this decision, because you also have to think of what where they're what school they're at and you know we talked to I'm going to just speak to Santa Clara because I know some of our conversations with coaches when they were talking about Jerry Smith they said he develops pros players come out of his program and they understand what it takes to become a professional soccer player when it comes to like off the field stuff when it comes to the work uh the mental side all those factors that kind of uh Tetris together and piece together to become, you know, what is a professional soccer player? Jerry Smith is really good at cultivating, cultivating that in players. So I, if I am a Santa Clara player and I have the ability to play in the fall and Santa Clara isn't cheap. So maybe I'm still able to get scholarship. I'm thinking that's only going to benefit me to get another year under Jerry Smith, not only with the tactical and technical knowledge that he can help you with, but that, Extra knowledge of this is how you become a professional, and this is how you can do this and that and be successful. Uh, I wouldn't leave that. I wouldn't choose to leave that willingly. But then there's players who are in a good system and they feel like they are ready to take that next step. And I think Brianna Prince Pinto is a good example because she said she's going to play through the spring and then decide and then come join the team after spring season. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that. That was her, her, that's her announcement of, that I completely yeah. messed up on the yeah. broadcast, but who oh, knows? Oh, you did? <laughs> See, not everybody knew that. I didn't know that. I didn't know you. Had I didn't know that up, either. Don't worry. <laughs> don't worry. Yeah. So, um, So for her, same thing, you know, Anton Doran's very good. If you look throughout the league of how many UNC players are scattered everywhere, good at developing the mentality, the willingness, the understanding of what it means to be a professional. And she had a benefit of playing in her fall season. And so she maybe understands that by playing in the spring and foregoing that extra year of eligibility, she feels okay with that. So I think it's so hard to say, but there's going to be a lot of different decisions. And I think the best thing for uh, everybody right now is to understand that everybody's trying to do their best at what we're living through right now. And everyone's going to make different decisions and we just have to support each other and know that um, these teams drafted these players for a reason. And, Sometimes patience makes the heart grow fonder. Is that the saying? I know it's not, but I I think think it's absent. (laughs) But I like like that spin. I like the spin on that. Yeah. (laughs) Got to be creative.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And that's, I mean, I thought it was interesting when the league made the announcement that they were going to say, okay, you know, seniors don't have to declare anybody who's considered a senior. Of course, there was some confusion about what was considered um, mm. a, a senior so and, you know, there's some pushback from people. It's like, how do you draft these people that don't want to be drafted? It's like they can completely ignore it if they want, if they have no intention of playing, it really means nothing. Right. And, yeah. and the burden, the burdens on the club who drafted them. Well, you know, did you talk to the player? Do you know what the player is planning to do? But like you mm-hmm. said, it's such a strange time. We're all trying to do our best. You know, yeah. I, I think the league was trying to deal with the fact that there's so much uncertainty, and for the first time, having an NCAA tournament that you know is set to take place in April May, well, you have to adjust for that. You know, I'm I'm relieved Mm -hmm. that the league already set a schedule that the regular season won't even start till mid May. So even somebody who joins after their you know team is out of the tournament, it's like you. Won't have missed nearly as much as you would yeah. have, you know, with with a normal year,
2: right? And just to add to that, I know there's been a lot of chatter about how difficult it is to come into a team when you haven't experienced preseason with them, and I I get that, but also these players are going to be coming in fit, so it's it's not like they're going to be coming from a place where you're just you know, in the off season, trying to gain that game fitness back, they're going to come in hitting the ground running saying, I've just been playing games. At least my fitness is there, my game fitness. And then I can jump in and try to tactically learn what I need to learn in order to uh, get to the place where I know what, how how to perform for this team.
0: And that, then that's an excellent point. You're, you're not, coming off of a, uh, having a normal spring college season, you know, like the, the players that stay to finish their degree and what you're, you're allowed to play like for,
2: mm-hmm. yeah. um,
0: but it's nowhere near the competition level as But they as well.
2: wouldn't have been able to play in those originally because they would have been a professional uh, player. A so they could train with a team. I believe they could train or have the access to some of the facilities because they're still a student athlete, but, I don't think they would be able to play in those games. But yeah, I again, I am not an NCAA rule regulator, so I don't know. And now everything is, is so changed. But I do think that there is a slight advantage over other years where players have decided to to finish their degrees and then come in. This time when they're finishing their degrees or finishing their season, they're at least playing in, in big games.
0: Well, and I think it's important to just put the caveat out there is that there are so many rules when it comes to NCAA compliance um, that we might not even be aware of. So, you know, for fans, don't ever make an assumption Well, it's like, well, why isn't the player doing X? It's like, well, it could be <laughs> something mm-hmm. that, yeah. you know, eliminate their eligibility to, to, to play as an amateur. Yeah. I remember uh, you know, when Mallory Pugh made the decision in what was at May 2017 to leave UCLA, which she had just registered that spring. She never even had a fall with with UCLA to go pro. Right. And people like, why does she need to go pro? It's like, well, she doesn't have to go pro. But by remaining with NCAA, that would have meant uh, for the World Cup last year, she would have made zero dollars. <laughs> huh.
2: Yeah, I think that was a
0: and have, for have her. You have to kind of balance that out cuz someone's like, "But that yeah. scholarship, she had a free ride." It's like, "Oh, don't worry. Uh she made plenty of money to pay for uh that that school if she ever wants it." Now, not everybody has that opportunity, but it, it it's like there's so many Yeah. little rules that, you know, we're not always aware of. Well, one other topic I wanted to ask you about, Jordan, was, uh, it, you know, it seems like every year we've got some stellar girls coming out of Colorado, and, and that's your home base. So what's in the water there that, you know, like Santa Clara, is is
2: producing pros? I just think in general, the talent in this country and the ability for these players to have a, to understand that they have a little bit more control over their development is greater than it's ever been. I think of technique and what Yale Averbush has created to work on the technical side of things. You can do so many things virtually and you can do strength training virtually, all these things, right? So I think just apart from the soccer standpoint, like what's happening on the field, there are so many things where our game is advancing at crazy speeds and these players are taking advantage of it. As far as Colorado goes, we've always had a pretty good, um, market for players at least going to pretty good schools across the country and then there's always a handful of players playing in the league Kristen Hamilton currently playing the league for a while Mickey Marshall myself uh, Taryn Hemmings there's always a handful of players and I, I don't know I think we just it's, it's in the water <laughs> You know what's funny about it, Jen, though? If you think about a lot of those players, maybe not Kristen Hamilton, but if you think about Taryn, me, Nikki Marshall, we all have this – Marion Dalmy is from here who played in the league as well. We all have very similar build as well. Like our stature is pretty the same. We're tall. um, I wouldn't say lanky, but, like, we're just taller women in this league in general. And that's the funny thing to me. I'm like, what's happening in Colorado that we're all kind of looking the same still? (laughs) (laughs) these lanky girls out there, but no, there's always been good talent. And I, I, you know, I attribute that to um, the the coaching that's here in Colorado. There's a few big clubs, Colorado Rush, Real Colorado, Colorado Storm. I think Storm is now part of the Colorado Rapids organization, but there's uh, some good clubs that have been established for a while and have some really good coaches who know the game and know how to develop players to that next level
0: and then it's the kind of thing once you have a few that means everyone following them sees oh I could be yeah. a Marion Dalmi. I could be a Jordan Angeli sure. I could be a Lindsay Horan yeah then and Mallory I, I think Pugh Lindsay Horan
2: yeah health. yeah I, oh I would add Lindsay into that that category I was talking about with uh, the stature of of women as well. Um, But Mal Pugh, I think Mal Pugh started something with Real Colorado where I know there was players before her, but when you're seeing somebody coming from where you came from, being able to take the next step, it it excites you no matter what. I remember being a a young athlete and I had a coach who knew Cindy Parlow and Cindy Parlow came to some of our trainings and you better believe that seeing Cindy Parlow up close and personal and saying, oh, she's playing in WUSA. She's playing for the national team. Like, she's just a real person. Like, she's here at training. I could touch her. Like, I'm seeing her do all these things. This is a reality that I could maybe go and grasp onto and then run with it and try to get better at everything and see if that's part of my future. There's real power in that. And I think the clubs in Colorado have latched onto that and understood alongside the players who have come from those clubs to say, Hey, when you're back, can you come to these trainings and just see the girls and be around them and show them and talk to them about what it means to be a pro and what it means to come from this club and how you did it. Those conversations last A lifetime and can really spark something within players that sustains them to continue to work for what they desire, which is potentially to be a professional soccer player.
0: Well, then, last question for you, Jordan, because that makes me think about what is it like for these draftees to join a club and someone that they've idolized? is on that roster. Mm-hmm. I mean, twice yeah. you've had the experience of being drafted in, in WPS mm-hmm. through the college draft and, and NWSL through the supplemental draft. Um, did, you, did you ever have that kind of experience? And e- even if not, how would you you know, mm-hmm. tell a young player, it's like, okay, it's gonna be weird that you're suiting up next to Lindsey Horan, but.
2: <laughs> yeah. I did have that experience, not in NWSL, because by that point in my career, I had played with a lot of the players I had been with in national team camps, so I knew where that was less of a, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I'm playing with this player than before. Yeah. But when I got drafted in WPS, the Boston Breakers, I definitely had that moment. I walked into training, and everybody's calling Christine Lilly Lil, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I, I can't call you Lil. I don't even know you. I think I asked for permission. <laughs> Like, do I call you Lil or do like, what do you want me to call you? Because I was so nervous. Like, this is Christine Lilly. And, you know, that's coming from me who I I mentioned about, you know, I had known Cindy Parlow. I went to Santa Clara and Brandy Chastain was around all the time. So it's not as if, I didn't know those types of people, but still when that person's your teammate, you're like, oh crap, like I got to step it up another level because if I miss a pass and Lil yells at me or Lil is disappointed, it's a different thing than, (laughs) um, you know, when you're younger and you miss a pass and Cindy Parlo is like, oh, it's okay, because you're 12. Um, So I think... I think it's a really neat experience and especially with this draft, hearing some of the players, I think it was and Ryan who said, you know, this is something that I want, I've wanted to do since middle school. I've been watching NWSL. And I was like, yes. That like that was one of the tweets that, awesome. that I think was the coolest thing that I read throughout the draft that it's not just playing with players on the national team. It's playing with players in the league who you're like, that's a good player. And I can't wait to be on their team one day. Those are the, you know, I can't wait to play for the Portland thorns or the Houston dash. Those type of things are really, I think what's going to continue to grow this game because then you have the opportunity for all these players. They have the opportunity. And I think it. the biggest advice I would give them is you got drafted for a reason. So be confident in who you are and know that you can't be anything but who you are. But at the same time, you have to soak up as much information as possible. Uh, Go to meetings and with your notebook and take notes and make sure you study about how the coach wants to play and uh, what players tendencies are on your team. So whether they're on your side, when you're scrimmaging in 11 v 11 or they're on the other team, you know, how much they love their left foot, you know what the move is that they're going to throw on you. Uh, So then you're really studying the game from a different perspective to know that when you step on the field, you can perform because you have all this knowledge that you've studied. So I think it's really cool. You know, the women are all great and they're demanding and they're professionals and they are fun and funny. And the locker room is the thing that I miss the most. So just really enjoy the process because it is, it's not about one day. It's about cumulatively how you show up day in and day out and really enjoy what you're doing. And I'm I'm just so excited for all these girls who get that opportunity now.
0: Well, I love hearing about Yasmeen Ryan, you know, watching since middle school that speaks to how long this league has lasted and now entering into its, you know, ninth year. That was the ninth draft, you know, um, so that you do have these players, that will grow up not knowing that there wasn't an option before, (laughs) you know, they're like, well, of course I can try to be a a pro soccer player. And, and then looking down the line with the advent of angel city FC and Sacramento, that means even players who say didn't get drafted this year or got drafted and maybe don't make uh, their team's roster, you know, there's going to be another 26 and then another 26 roster spots, coming open, right? Like, huge Mm -hmm. opportunities.
2: Oh, huge opportunities. And I'm really interested to see how that just plays out in the league next year because we haven't haven't seen that. Even this year, just to add another team and to see some of the um, wealth of talent within organizations get spread out a little bit, how that's going to not rock the boat, but just change the dynamic of this league because, gosh, every year it seems like this team is here and that team is there and then it switches and, you know, it's such a fun lead to follow and watch and be a part of.
0: It's a natural evolution and I'm so excited to to watch it too. Mm -hmm. Well, Jordan, thank Mm -hmm. you so much for all your work on the draft with the interviews. I hope we get to see all the interviews that, that weren't shown. And thank you so much for sharing your feedback with me.
2: Yeah, of course. And we're going to, I've been pestering NWSL about it. I'm like, these players, put them out there. Everybody wants to see their reaction.
0: All right, time to wrap it up with the back four. Well, the U.S. women won 4-0 in their first friendly of 2021 with an all mus goal lasso, or rather four goals. Um, And they will take on Columbia again Friday, January 22nd. That's this Friday, 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN2. I would assume there's not going to be as much pregame on ESPN2 as there was for Fox Sports 1, so be ready for kickoff shortly after 7 p.m. Eastern. More info about the game at ussoccer.com. And be sure to check out my Keeper Notes article on keepernotes.com about the history of U.S. friendlies in January. And be sure to mark your calendar. NWCL preseason is coming up. It starts February 1st. And then we will have the 2021 She Believes Cup in late February with U.S. matches against Canada, Brazil, and Japan. And as that falls in a FIFA break, there will probably be some friendlies going on in Europe and elsewhere as well. Now, all the She Believes Cup matches will be played in Orlando, just like these two Columbia friendlies. And all will be broadcast live on Fox Sports 1. And to keep up with player trades, acquisitions, draft picks, etc., be sure you have my WOSO Nerd Links page bookmarked on your browser. Just go to KeeperNotes.com, click on WOSO Nerd Links, and bookmark that page. I've got uh, the Google sheet of NWSL rosters by club, I've got the complete draft worksheet, I've got a sheet of all time, um, all us call-ups to the senior team since 2015, all kinds of good stuff. And last but not least, the project that never ends is my NWCL almanac. I keep having other things distract me. I keep finding new statistical errors to figure out. Um, but I'm really close to having it done. She says confidently. So if you want to pre-order the 2020 NWSL almanac, just go to keepernotes.com, click on almanacs, You can buy the 2020 version, which will have everything from 2013 through the end of 2020. There's print, there's PDF. You can buy both. I have a few of the 2019s on sale. There's also a challenge cut booklet for sale. So be sure to check out that stuff. So that's it for this episode of the Mix Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. Appreciate everyone listening. I appreciate everybody who watched the draft last week and tweeted about it and tweeted at us on the broadcast desk and, you know, made fun of Lori's costume or whatever. We enjoyed it. We really enjoyed the fans paying attention to it. And, of course, most of all, I need to thank the Beautiful Game Network and Sean for making this podcast possible. But now- She's anybody's girl You know she's anybody's girl